Cold Streets, an excerpt from the book Disquieting Notions by J.L. Warnock. Jesus! Billy throws aside the ragged gray navy issue wool blanket door to his refrigerator box home and peers out at the steam and dust roiling just feet away. Standing on its nose in the center of the dispersing cloud is a car, a black Lexus. Billy recognizes the make immediately. Ah, cheap Lexus drivers never let you clean their windshields at the long light at 8th Street and Lexington. Never help a guy out. A groan of tortured, tearing metal as the Lexus topples over onto its roof, exploding the remaining windows out and scattering diamond-bright pellets of glass in all directions. Billy drops the blanket as they pelt like hail against the side of his box. Billy's lived under the east end of the Sullivan Viaduct for nearly three years now. His is the penthouse apartment, heavy cardboard, wool blanket door, and a coveted floor made from a sheet of foam plastic insulation that keeps him off the winter-hardened ground at night. Billy is a made man, with some serious connections in the invisible hierarchy of the street. He pulls back the blanket again. The wreck lies on its top, leaking steam and antifreeze. A hand protruding from the long sleeve of a white shirt sticks out through the crumpled opening that had once been the driver's side door. Billy watches the hand for any sign of movement. After five minutes, he crawls from his box. At the edge of the roadway, he gazes up. The guardrail on the viaduct twists outward. Two torn ends dangle like ribbons in the rising steam. Stupid jerk. He yanks the Rolex off the unresisting wrist and recovers one gold cufflink. Reaching into the dark interior of the wreck, he feels around. Billy pulls out an expensive-looking suit jacket and checks the pockets. Wallet. Cell phone. Some kind of PDA gizmo. All right. He dives back in for more, discovering a briefcase. As he tries to tug the newest treasure past the mangled front seat, the driver groans. Christ! Billy gasps, releasing his grip on the case and tumbling backward. Recovering himself, he crawls forward, sticking his face into the opening. You okay, mister? An answering groan, weak, and breathy. Help! Hang on, mister, I'll get you out. The driver is a crumpled flesh ball, jammed between the roof and the seat, which has ripped loose from the floor rails. Billy grabs the free arm and pulls. There's no scream of pain, just quick, panting half-breaths. When the driver's head and left arm are clear of the car, Billy feels resistance. He can pull the man no farther. Something's stuck. The driver groans again. Cell! 911! Don't worry, I'll get you out. He scrabbles past the driver, trying to see the source of the problem. The man's right leg, bent at an odd angle, is jammed between the center console and the steering wheel. Dark blood soaks the material of the pant leg. Grimacing, 
Billy twists the foot through an unnatural arc, and the rubbery shin slides free of its restraint. The driver never reacts to what must be excruciating pain. Once outside again, Billy takes the man by the arms, places his feet on either side of the opening, and hauls back. The car gives birth to a blood-smeared, shattered man. Billy flops back, gratefully sucking in the icy city air. The inside of the car smelled like dying, and he's relieved to be away from it. He kneels over the driver, removing the second cufflink. The man's eyes are open, the same gray as Billy's blanket, but intelligent. His lips form a quivering smile and whisper, Thank you. I'll get you to the dock, don't worry. Billy climbs up under the viaduct to his storage area. In seconds he returns, pushing the red shopping cart that contains all his worldly possessions. He tosses in the wallet and the other objects he's rescued and then makes a final foray into the wreck to snatch out the briefcase. He adds it to his collection before grabbing the man under the arms and hauling him up and over the trash-filled cart. Head and arms dangle down on one side, ruined legs on the other. No! 911! My cell! They don't come down here at night, mister. Doc is just a couple blocks. Billy propels the cart along the street at a rattling jog, but the driver doesn't complain. A left at the first corner, and the clinic is in sight. The sign in the storefront window proclaims, Community Free Clinic, Dr. Harold Collar. Billy hustles the cart down the shadow-drenched alley, toward the side door. The cart jerks to a stop, and Billy must scramble to keep the injured man from pitching forward onto the refuse-strewn concrete. He kicks at the trash, fouling the front wheels, and they soon reach the scarred steel door. Pressing a grime-encrusted button, the clanging of the doorbell sounds inside the crumbling brick structure. Once, twice, three times... Billy loses count before the clattering inside tells him that Doc is opening the four padlocks that secure the clinic against the periodic assaults by marauders seeking chemical escape from the misery of their existence. The door opens. Three security chains and a steel bar span the two-inch gap. A wary eye peers out. Billy? Yeah, Doc. Got a guy. Hurt bad in a wreck. Want to take a look? The door closes, followed quickly by the sounds of the chains and bar being withdrawn. When it opens again, Billy pushes his cart up the short loading ramp and into the back of the clinic. Room two, Billy. Strip him down carefully and call Nurse Williamson. I'll get washed up. A gruesome sight meets Doc Collar's eyes as he steps into the examining room. Naked in the bluish glare from the overhead fluorescent fixture, the patient is obviously suffering from crushing injuries to both legs below the knee. Jagged bone extends through torn, blood-caked flesh. A deep laceration crosses the man's forehead, and an extensive area on the left side of the abdomen is discolored a deep purple-black. 
Severe internal bleeding. Probably spleen, Doc surmises. The man's gray eyes stare at him. Be okay, Doc? I'll do my best. I'll need some of your medical history. He turns to his nurse, just entering from the break room. Take his history, Pam. Then to the wreck of a man on the table, just to answer yes or no to her questions. The man closes his eyes, always paperwork. Do you have AIDS, or have you had a positive test for HIV? No. Hepatitis? No. Smoke? No. Heart problems? The man sighs and closes his eyes. No. Healthy, careful. Doc smiles. Splendid. Are you in much pain? No, headache. Can't move. His voice gasps. Doc nods. Yes. A flash diagnosis indicates a spinal cord injury. Quite high, judging from the extent of the paralysis. What's your name, please? Christopher Hargrove. Of the Hargrove Corporation? Yes. Doc smiles. Not a pleasant sight. It's nice to meet you at last, Mr. Hargrove. Hargrove's eyes widen, questioning. Yes, Doc continues. Very nice indeed. I've spent several months trying to make an appointment with you, but your secretary keeps putting me off. We, the clinic, are in rather desperate straits and are hoping your corporation will extend the current lease on this building. Did you know you own this building, Mr. Hargrove? No, I didn't think so. This building has been a charitable write-off for your corporation. Its one-dollar lease makes it possible for me to offer basic medical care to the destitute of this area at no cost. I was notified recently that your corporation intends to alter the terms of the lease as of the next renewal. There's no way the clinic can meet the figure quoted in the letter. A hard edge creeps into Doc's voice. Would you like to reconsider that decision now? Tears run from the gray eyes. Yes, anything. Well, Mr. Hargrove, I'm afraid it's much too late for that. You see, you're dying. With injuries such as yours, I doubt you'll last an hour. Certainly not long enough to contract your corporate lawyers and restore the lease. But that hour can still be put to good use. Doc turns to Billy. Get the coolers, please. The gray eyes flash from Doc to Billy and back. I've been forced to take on a second job to keep the clinic operating, Mr. Hargrove. You see, I've become a sort of farmer in order to raise money for supplies. Billy returns, placing four ice-filled coolers on the floor next to the exam table. I harvest things, Mr. Hargrove, and sell them to those who can pay. It helps to meet the clinic's expenses. He rolls over a large mirror mounted on a stand. I use this to allow our mothers to see their children being born. 
Humming tunelessly, he adjusts it to give Hargrove a good view of the proceedings. There, that's better. I think you'll find this fascinating. Tonight, I'll be harvesting a pair of kidneys, a heart, and a pair of lungs. Oh, yes, and later, a pair of corneas. Doc chuckles. Just relax, Mr. Hargrove. You won't feel a thing.